This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm Chief Content Officer of a growing community of businesses called the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs. As usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show is about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If there's something you've been struggling with, if there's something that's holding you back, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And remember, this is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to this show is probably struggling with it too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. And with us today to discuss those questions and challenges is Lou Mosca, Chief Operating Officer of American Management Services and a regular guest on the show. American Management Services is based in Orlando. It's a consulting firm that helps business owners, whether they are succeeding or struggling, which is why Lou always brings us interesting stories from the front lines. Welcome back to the show, Lou. Good afternoon, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Very good. Very good. It's always good in Florida, you know? So I hear. So I hear. Mm -hmm. Until July. Um, There you go. (laughs) (laughs) What's up? What have you been been hearing out there? You know, just, uh, you know, we we start, you ask me that often, and I'm going to tell you it's uh, sort of the same thing. Those guys that are doing great and knocking out of the park are doing really well, and then there's other people that not knocking it out of the park. They're sort of sleeping in the park, you know. So it's uh, it's been good, and it's been tough for a lot of folks. I'll tell you what I enjoyed today. Do you want to hear that? I do. I loved your newsletter today. Oh, you're such a nice guy. You Are you I referring to the Oxford newsletter. Morning Report? That's the one. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the article on Facebook was good, but the one on the salon was the best. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. Did you see... I just got, I was in uh, Austin, Texas for South by Southwest until yesterday. And uh, one of the lead items in one of the newsletters we did while I was there uh, was about how Austin is has been completely overrun by those electric scooters. And saw that. It, it is, it, it was insane. I've never seen anything like it. They, they were everywhere. There must have been about 10 different brands. Uh, you know, Uber has one, Bird, I can't even remember all of them. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't think I saw, other than the people who were renting them out, I don't think I saw anybody wearing a helmet. Um, have, have you been in a city where those things are legal? Have, have you seen what it looks like? I actually have not. I've never been to Austin, but I actually have not. So I, I just, you know. Well, you're in for I, a thrill, I, let I, me tell you. It's it's incredible. Um, and it, this this was like, you know, the scooters on steroids because mm-hmm. with the conference and so many people from out of town there and the venues are, are kind of spread out a little bit. So uh, people were just grabbing them and, and, and going. But they, you know, they're on the sidewalks. They're on the streets in between the cars. Um, actually, I sat in on an interesting pitch uh, session where one of the companies was a mobility-related uh, company. And uh, unfortunately, their lead investor couldn't be there for the session because he had fallen off his bird and uh, had to be taken to the hospital. Uh, you know, that was just one, apparently the hospitals were, were really busy. So I would imagine uh, coming soon to a city near you, uh, something I to look think, forward I think to. That's really cool. Really cool. <laughs> you know, those you companies doing? are worth billions of dollars, too. I think I think that's amazing. You know, it's just. They get these valuations after being in business for a couple of breaths of air of staggering numbers. And if they can deliver upon it, it's great for the initial investors. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure I see this one ending happily. Um, they've raised a lot of money. I don't know. You know, There's a lot of competition. There are a lot of people who really hate them. I talked to one guy there who said that he, he actually he drives over them whenever possible to, to destroy them. And uh, he, he's an he's an investor himself. He told me that um, the the average lifespan of a single one of these electric scooters is about three months, which it's really hard to imagine. Not the best business model. <laughs> if it is, we, we've got something to learn, Lou. 
Yeah, well, we missed something again, Lauren. What can I tell you? Yeah. Um, so here's what I, I want to ask you about something um, that I think I saw you might have written about in one of the many places you're you're writing these days. Um, what, what what's happening with credit in banks? Are, are your clients seeing any change in the in the market right now? Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's kind of bizarre. I've got clients right now that are um, relatively successful, and when I define successful. To me, that's they're hitting a plan, they're hitting a target, they're profitable, they're cash flow positive, and they need some funding. And it's basically to help propel growth with a solid backlog. And it's been, you know, and I'm not going to say there's a lot of that, but I'm seeing it in different spots. This is, I've seen one recently in Texas. I've seen one recently in Ohio. We've got one right now in South Florida where we've got some business owners that, have a good balance sheet, not a great balance sheet, but it's a good balance sheet. What, and, what does that mean? You know, what, what, what's a good What's a good balance sheet? Well, are are they making sheet. money? Yeah, they're making money. Uh, but a good balance sheet to me is a real strong uh, uh, net worth and a real strong uh, current ratio, current assets, cash receivables, or you know, two, three, four times what their current. Uh, Liabilities are accounts payable and stuff like that. So that's real strong, real good. So I'm going to say when I say these folks are doing good, that it's a little less than that, but still bankable, cash flow positive, can afford to do this. And it's been just not been as easy as it was six to 12 months ago. And I wonder sometimes if, you know, if the Fed's putting a scare in them, if the the 30-day shutdown with the SBA shutting down for a while has backed folks up and I think I'll have a better or clearer picture in another 30 to 60 days. So, But it's definitely been, in my opinion, a little bit of a slowdown in providing credit. When you say it's not as easy or there's a slowdown, is it just simply a matter of whether the loan you know, is offered or not? Or is it the terms, of, you know, are, or is it rates? Is it uh, demanding more collateral? No, terms are – well, everybody always wants more collateral. But the terms have not been bad for most folks. The, the challenge is getting a term sheet. Provided. So what, what we're finding is that every uh, most institutions we meet with are open, they're conversational, they tell you really good stuff and that they're really looking to go into this market and they really think you're a good candidate. And then there's just, it just seems to be stepping up a little bit that they go kind of silent. And you were not getting term sheets as frequently as we were a year ago. So the terms are still good. Interest rates are still relatively okay, and uh, the payout terms are still relatively okay. But I just feel like banks are trying to defer more to get SBA guarantees, and I just I don't know if that's a mindset or it's just you know happenstance that that's what we're seeing. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Lou Mosca. If you have a question about your business, if you're struggling to get a loan, if you've uh, been in the market lately, if you're trying to figure out what uh, the state of that market is uh, as well, um, or if you have some evidence of where you see it going, give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, Lou, um, yes. we're going to get to your sanity test, which we've promised people uh, on Twitter and a, a little bit later, but I, I, pe- I want people to know that it's coming. Um, but before we do that, um, first, am, am I giving it to you? Or are you giving it? To me? <laughs> oh, I'm in charge here, Lou. <laughs> you know the answer to that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll play along with you. Um, okay. But I, I want to ask you about something interesting that, you, that you, I've seen you raise uh, recently as well, uh, which is the um, the issue of whether whether business owners should be paying attention to what's happening in the news or keeping their heads down. And, you know, I, I think that's a fine line there. It, you know, obviously you got to stick to your knitting. You got to do what you got to do. Um, but there's also something to be said for knowing what's going on. And I, I'm curious your take on this. Well, my take is probably, let's say, I think what I've said is you should ignore the chatter. So I think that's sort of been my position. So I, I've said before on your show here and and I think even in some tweets somewhere along the line that, you know, I start my day every day by going through the first couple of pages of the Wall Street Journal and seeing what's going on. And then the second thing I read every day 
is your newsletter. Those are the two things that get me started every morning. And I, I read it because I do want to know what's going on in the world. And if there is going to be an impact to my business based on what I've seen or based on what I've read, then that's great. But I think that sometimes I, I'm, I fear sometimes that business owners get a little um, knocked off their A-game, thinking, worrying about Brexit or worrying about factors that they can't control. So, for example, how did, unless you're supplying Tesla with parts, who cares what happens? <laughs> I was going to ask you about that one, Lou, because you bring up Elon Musk a lot. Well, I'm actually you're obviously you care what happens with me. him. Well, well, but here's my next step. Here's my next step, right? So, unless you're an investor in Facebook and it's going to impact your portfolio, who cares what happens? Who cares what they've done wrong? Now, here's the, here's the interesting. Well, part. wait a second. I'm going to challenge you there too, because a lot of people advertise uh, on that platform. And, you know, the, their problems, especially right now, it looks like they may be changing their business model. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who have to pay attention to that. Well, I'll, I'll differ with you and I'll tell you why. So uh, we, we deal with, I'm going to tell you, literally two to 3,000 small business owners per year. And, you know, 1 million up to 10 million, 15 million in revenue. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have 2% of them spending advertising dollars on Facebook or LinkedIn or Google or whatever. Now, whether that's right or wrong, that's their business. You know, that's their choice to, to make. But I'm going to bet you. I think yeah. they might be wrong. <laughs> well, they might be. They absolutely might be. But, I'm, but my position or my thinking is that if you're an owner, you really need to be focused on the things you can control, not the things you can't control. Fair enough. Um, listen, we have a, a caller on the line. Uh, his name is Brad Martin. He's somebody I asked to call in. He runs a, uh, a company in Columbus, Ohio called Focus CFO. Uh, we had a conversation recently and, uh, it's a, it's a really interesting business. And I thought our, our listeners, uh, could really gain from this. Brad, welcome to mind your business. Lauren, great to be here. Uh, Brad, um, why don't you, you you and Lou are kind of in uh, in similar positions in that you're you're both trying your best to help uh, business owners uh, who who often struggle with with similar issues. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about uh, Focus CFO? What do you guys do? Yeah, we provide fractional CFO support to small and medium sized businesses, primarily in the Midwest. So we've assembled a team. We have about seventy people in our group, CFOs, and you know, a lot of a lot of. Um, really good experience. And we go into these lower middle market companies that are in the one to 10, two to $20 million space. And we allow them to have a piece of a experienced CFO as part of their team. So we're typically working with our clients a day a week or half a day a week, bringing that level of expertise. At what size do you think a business should have its own CFO? It's a great question. I think it depends on the complexity of the business. I mean, Manufacturing companies tend to be, get complicated at a, at a pretty small size. Um, other companies can, can be – we have businesses we work with that are 80 or $100 million, and the business model is fairly simple. So you know, the dynamic can work there. But it really just depends on when the owner is starting to kind of lose visibility into the business and, uh, and really needs to bring somebody on full-time. Lou, do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, how big a business should be before it considers hiring its own CFO and, and what it should do before it gets to that point? Well, I, I sort of, uh, Brad, how are you? I sort of, um, I sort of uh, agree with Brad, except I would expand it a little bit. I find that manufacturers and contractors seem to have an in-house or a stronger finan financial need at a at a, even a lower volume, like a million dollars. There are complexities there that are just dramatically more than a retailer or a distributor, uh, just just more moving parts. I think that uh, whether someone has in-house or, or external help sort of depends on the, to some degree, on number one, the complexity of the business, and number two, the owner's savvy. You know, how involved does the owner want to be in the financial aspects of the business? So I think it's a need-by-need -need basis, quite frankly, Lauren. 
Brad, tell us what what do you see out there? Uh, what are the most frequent ish- challenges and issues that uh, you deal with when you go into one of these companies? Yeah, we we really define the CFO role as a as a forward looking, almost an operating position. We're we're head down in issues like cash flow, internal cash flow. We we believe that the business should be the primary source of cash flow to fund its growth. They can use banks and they can use equity, but we as the CFOs we jump into the cash flow side really really hard. We're really involved in operating metrics, uh, trying to help the business owner get visibility into what their profitability is today or yesterday. Uh, too many too many businesses, especially small businesses, are are running their business either intuitively or with an accounting financial statement that you know maybe. 30 days or 45 days old. So we're trying to create that forward-looking dashboard that gives them insight into what their cash flow is going to look like and what their financial metrics are and and really working with their, their sales team and revenue group to put together a holistic plan, visibility into what the business is going to look like in the future. I'm curious about the the phrase you uh, you're using, uh, forward looking. Is, is that kind of dis- distinguishing your role from an accountant's role, say? Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, a lot of businesses have controllers. Controllers are essential. Controllers typically take ownership of the accounting system, and they create the the accounting reports that come out. Those are really important in businesses, but they tend to be like reading the newspaper from last week, back when we read newspapers. But the, you know, the CFO is trying to create the dashboard. You know, I talk to business owners all the time, and one of the questions I ask them is, how, many, how much money did you make yesterday, and how much money are you going to make today? And a lot of them don't know that in smaller businesses. But when you've got the right information and you know what the key drivers are in your business to show whether you're, what your profitability is going to be and, and how your employees are performing, you can get a really good feel on whether you're having a good day or not or whether you've got issues in your business. I always drive uh, Lou a little crazy with this question, so I know he'll enjoy hearing me put someone else on the spot. Can, can you walk us through an example um, of, a, of a company that you went into and you saw, whether it's the cash flow problems or, you know, w- what was the situation that you saw that, and how did you address it? Well, I remember kind of in the early days, one of the businesses I talked to was a lady running a business and she sold used computer equipment. So she'd go in liquidation, she'd buy inventory for pennies on the dollar and look she had a very i mean she was doing about a million five of revenue and making 50 or 60 thousand dollars and she had a very complicated accounting system and i mean it was a five-page financial statement she could tell you exactly what she spent on fax machines and copiers and all that because it was lined out i remember sitting down with her and asking her what she wanted to be when she grew up and she said i want to be 30 million in revenue and i said why and she said because i want to make three hundred thousand dollars and I just kind of laughed, and I said, how about we put together a plan that can show you how to do $3 million of revenue and make $300,000? And we put the accounting stuff aside, and I said, you know what? We're not even going to show you this anymore. We're going to lock down on the three, the three things that you need to know as to whether you're having a good day or not. And one of them was what her sales were every day, what her gross margin was on what she sold every day, and how much inventory she had. Remember, she had depreciating inventory, so the longer she held on to it, the less valuable it was. I said, I wonder how much inventory you have that's over 30 days old. And we established these metrics and said, if your sales are this every day, if your gross margin on what you sold that day is at least this, and we want you to have no inventory over 30 days. And a year and a half later, she did three or four million dollars at 10 percent margin so it was just a great example of business owners not necessarily knowing what they should look at but giving them the right tools that they simply know whether they're having a good day or not and try to have a lot of good days in a row you're listening to mind your business on sirius xm 132 i'm lauren feldman my guests are lou mosca of american management services and brad martin of focus cfo we got a lot of talent on the line here. If you have a question, uh, these guys have a lot of experience. Call us now at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. 
Uh, Lou, uh, two questions. Did you enjoy that? Oh, my putting Brad on the spot? And two, did what he said about the kind of, you know, the financial acumen of the owner in that situation, did that ring familiar to you? Is this Brad's first time on? It is. Then you've been way too nice. <laughs> <laughs> way too easy. And, and Brad, I think he just called us both old, quite frankly. I think he did, yeah. Well, I'm right there with you guys. No worries. I think that's what I heard. So here's a couple of things I was thinking as Brad was speaking there. Number one, I've always considered controllers, uh, for the most part, for the most part, scorekeepers, meaning they maintain the books, they track the records, they make sure the job costs are in line, the payroll's recorded properly. To some degree, I've, I've considered most controllers scorekeepers, and I've considered most CFOs, if they've got the true background and experience, and experience comes from hard knocks, not just school. They've got the experience to be more of a part of management, more of a I don't know if I love the word visionary or not, but you've got to have a forward-looking perspective on what we're doing. So for the way we look at things is that we don't believe the way to maximize profit is to just grow revenue, right? Because if you're not making the profit you should on $3 million, who says you're going to make the profit you should on $6 million? So you've got to have a strong foundation to do this. So as Brad said, and I 1,000% agree with this, what we try to do with all of our clients, similar to you, Brad, is we want to do a forward-looking cash flow. That goes out four to eight weeks. So what we want to do is make sure that liquidity is where it belongs and the the client doesn't run into an unforeseen problem. Second thing we do, and we do these both every week, is we call it a flash report, KPI, whatever you want to call it, because – If they're fortunate enough to get financials once a month, they're usually getting them on the 15th or the 20th of the month for last month. And at that point, if there was a problem, it's too late for last month and this month. So we want these key performance measurements every week. So we want to eliminate the surprises, and ownership has a firm pulse on what's going on. I think that's what Brad was espousing for for his CFOs that he sends out there. Is that correct, sir? Yes, sir. Let me let me make another comment. One of the things I love to do when I talk to business owners is walk into their office and look around, and I'll usually find their product. If they're a manufacturer, I'll find one of their products on their desk, and I walk over and I pick it up, and it's like, is this one of your products? Yeah. What do you sell it for? And they get this smile on their face, and they say, I sell this for $85. Yeah, but here comes the good part. Go ahead, Brad. So what does it cost you to make this? <laughs> and they have no idea. And they'll say something like, Oh, I have 50% margin on that. Is that a guess, or do you really know? Oh, that, we really know. Is that typical for your products? Yeah, we make 50% on everything. Well, let me see your financial statements, because your financial statements say that your gross margin is 20% blended. So if you're making 50% on this, what are the things you have that you're making nothing on? And it's just a, it's just a you know, we, we, when we talk about CFOs, it's cash flow and it's margin. And you get to the DNA of the business, and I tell you, that's where you make your money is in the margin. And it's just really unfortunate when somebody's trying to run their business off of, as Lou said, that controller-prepared financial statement, it doesn't get to the DNA of the business because that's in the margin. Every product, everything you do, what do we make? And, gosh, oftentimes you find products that are 10 12% margin, they're paying a sales guy 20% commission to make it or to sell it. You know, Warren, I, you and I had a conversation once before, probably a couple of shows ago, where we talked about, I said to you, that many of our clients cannot tell us the cost of what they do. You're right. And I'm thinking of an example of a company I wrote about. I won't, I won't name them because I don't, I don't mean to embarrass them, but it was a, a sizable manufacturing business that was making a white label product for a uh, sizable retailer. And, um, they waited until they got, I think, around 70 or $80 million in revenue to hire a CFO. And that CFO came in and quickly figured out that they had been selling this white label product to a prominent retailer at a loss for years. Um, should a company need a CFO to know that they're losing money on a product like that? Brad? Well, I'll say that um, you, you mentioned seventy million dollars, and one of the, one of the, and that, so we see that a lot. We see businesses that are that size that don't have the level of financial sophistication they have. And the question we always ask is, 
So what happened? Did, did all of a sudden at 69 million you didn't need somebody, and at 70 million you do? And so the fractional industry has evolved to try to fill that gap. It's like, okay, at, at 10 million, maybe you only need half a day a week of a CFO. And at a little bit larger, you might need a day a week and a day and a half, and then eventually you, you will hire one. But look, sometimes, I mean, and I've got a strong construction background, so I've worked with a lot of, a lot of project managers that are running construction that actually understand the financial stuff really, really well. And so a good project manager in construction is going to be able to tell you cost, schedule, scope. How much money are we making on the project? How much money did we make yesterday? They can get to that. But in a lot of industries, it's it's really hard to find operations people that have the financial strength. I mean, they're good operations people. They're great. But they don't have the financial strength. And so when you couple that with a CFO, you can get great results. Yeah, and I think trying to turn in a strong operations person into a financial person is usually a recipe for disaster. But to give them the right tools and teach them properly, if they really embrace it, they're an extraordinary asset for your company. And so in our model, what then, you know, the, the fractional industries involved, fractional to us means you go on site. So we're working on site at our clients. We don't do very much remote. But look, it's where we spend our time. It's not in the accounting department. We're out on the shop floor. We're with the production people. We've got a clipboard and a pencil and a stopwatch, and we're you know, timing, trying to get cycle times. We're trying to get that information because we want to sit down with, a, with an operations manager and say, what do you need? What data do you need to know whether your team is being efficient? And I'll tell you, in the smaller businesses, it's just it's, – I don't want to say a lot of it is easy for a strong financial person, but we've looked at things like – you know, how many products are we producing in a shift? Okay, so the answer is we're, make, we're producing 50 products. Well, what if we did 60? How much more money would we make? And when you start doing things like offer, when you understand that and start offering incentives to people, but we've done things like, hey, if we can get to 70 on this shift, we'll bring pizza in the next day and feed, feed the group. So we make an extra $10,000 a day on production. And what's it cost us? $100 worth of pizza. I mean, it's just when you have the data, it's just phenomenal what you can do to improve these businesses. I'm speaking with Lou Mosca of American Management Services and Brad Martin of Focus CFO. If you've got a question, uh, especially about the financial side of your business, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So, so Brad, you gave us a great example of walking into the office and seeing the product on the desk and asking you know, whether the owner knows uh, what it costs to make that product. Are, can you give us – do you have a list of things? Do you have a checklist when you walk into a business? What are the first things you look at to see if the business is being run well from a financial standpoint? Yeah, we don't really work off of a checklist. It's fairly intuitive, because, and, and Lou can attest to this. You, you've been doing this for a long time. You kind of understand how business works. You understand the right questions to ask. I think what we're primary, I mean, we're, we're going to go in first. Cash is the biggest issue. So we have a proven process that we work with. It's not really a checklist, but it's a kind of a 12-step approach. And the first thing on the list is cash flow. So we want to understand what the cash flow situation is. Um, and Lou, Lou talked about you know, developing those cash flow forecasts. You know, that's, that's critical. He's dead on week by week. It's not so much what's running through the accounting reports, but what's running through your bank account. So we're going to go in and look at cash really, really hard. And then we're, we're trying to figure out, I use the phrase, the DNA of the business. What's, what's, what, what's your product? How much do you make it for? What, how much margin do you make on it? You know, we'll head to the purchasing department and look at how are they buying product? Are they buying from the same people that they bought from for the last 25 years because somebody's dad played golf with somebody in the 70s? Or are they actually going out and looking at pricing and trying to get competitive pricing? Because if you can save 15% on the products you're buying, that's, that's a great place to try to generate, to generate more margin. So, again, it depends on the industry, but if, if, the, if the margin is based on um, product and people, you're looking at both of those. Retail is one. I mean, anybody with inventory is just it's just a great great to walk into somebody that's got inventory, because all of the all of the stuff that turns, you know, turns is how many times a year does it sell? 
it's all sitting in the front of the warehouse, and it's just shiny and new. And the further you walk back into the warehouse, you start to see the, the museum, the dust on the product. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I talked to a guy one time, and it was a, it was a big wholesale, wholesale distributor. And you know, his bank had asked us to come in because he had, he had a million. He was doing probably $10 million worth of revenue, and he had a million-and-a-half-dollar line of credit that was maxed out meaning it wasn't going up and down, and he wasn't able to pay it back. And first thing I asked him for, I said, can you give me an aged inventory report? He said, what's that? I said, I want a list of every product, every SKU you have, and how much you have currently in inventory, and then how much of that inventory has been sitting in here for over a year, a year. And he grumbled. He went and ran the report, and he brought it back to me, and he had a million and a half dollar line of credit that was maxed out. You want to guess how much inventory he had over a year? Million and a half dollars. Wow. I said, you've got a great business model. I said, you go and borrow a million and a half from the bank. You buy a bunch of stuff you can't sell. And then you get frustrated at the bank because they won't lend you more money. It's like, let's just liquidate all the inventory that you have. Lou, I know you've seen situations like that too. Let's let's take a phone call. Sean in uh, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi, how are you? Doing great. What's on your mind, Sean? Just a quick question. I'm a small business owner. Um, I only do about two million in sales, but I got this priced out before, and it just seems so cost. I know this sounds crazy, but it was the, the um, amount that um, that I was paying per month. Just didn't seem possible. Um, Sean, you, you got out. what priced out? Is it, are you talking about a, uh, a fractional CFO? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A fractional CFO. So I'm, I'm just curious. Um, is there a target percentage of, of sales that, um, from a cost standpoint, that I should look to pay for this type of service? Or I was wondering. I, I know it's a valuable service, but at what sales volume does it really make sense to do? It just seemed. The um, my, my margins are tight. I'm five percent, um, really five to ten percent bottom line, but it was like uh, three to four thousand per month, just something that was cost prohibitive. So I wasn't sure if there was like a target amount that I should range, or, or is this really um, more focus on uh, higher revenue producing companies? Or that's a great question, Sean. Brad, uh, how do you charge for your services? Well, we bill we bill in daily rates and. Our clients are pay- are paying about that. Some are a little more. Some are a little less. With three, what was it? Three thousand, three or four thousand dollars. And but look, we we look at it as if if a CFO can come in and help you again. We just think cash. I mean, cash is king. And so if a CFO is able to come in and either by freeing up your time, Sean, as a business owner, to let you go out and generate and do something in the business, you're probably spending mm-hmm. time right now on some of these administrative things and trying to work with the bank and financials and all that. And if a fractional CFO can give you back a day a week of time to go do something, how much revenue could you generate for your business? Yeah, it would definitely help, that's for sure. Well, and it, look, if, it, if you're paying three or $4,000 and, and, and someone like us could give you back a day a week of time and you could go generate $10,000 worth of sales, a month at 40% margin or 30%. Margin. I mean, you can begin to see how that would pay back. And then mm-hmm. if the CFO is going in and maybe looking at your business a little bit different than you do and bringing some ideas, can they help you liquidate some inventory? Can they help you generate some more margin? So we don't look at it in terms of our percentage of sales. We look at it in terms of what's the opportunity cost we can give you back. And then also, okay. what can we do inside your business to help you improve your cash situation? So, Brad, with a situation like with Sean, um, how much do you want to know before you ask Sean to decide whether to hire you or not? Uh, can can you do you take a look at his business and figure out where you think you can help, or do you does he have to hire you first? Great question. So we're going to come in. We'll usually spend six, eight, ten, twelve hours of time with the business, really just trying to understand what the issues are. We want to sit down with Sean and ask him what his goals are for the business and what he thinks the issues are and talk to some of the people, his production person or salesperson, and just get a pulse for the business. And so the worst-case situation is we're going to spend 6, 8, 10, 12 hours with you and give you some insights. 
if you decide to hire us and there's a role there, we'd be comfortable that we could come in and, and do what we all think we can do to either free up your time or help generate more cash and more profitability inside the business. Sean, thank I, I appreciate I appreciate that question because that was my big thing is if that initial insight is done to determine if there was a possibility, then that makes that investment much easier to make. So thank you. Thank you for your call, Sean. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've got to take a, uh, a quick break. Brad, can you stick around for a couple minutes? Sure can. we got some more calls coming in. Lou, you're still there? I'm here. Lou, I want to know uh, how you kind of deal with that situation, too, where um, a, a business owner who's strapped for cash needs your help but isn't sure how to pay for it. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, and we're still going to get to your sanity test as well. Uh, but we do need to take a quick break. Um, if you have doubts about your sanity or uh, about mine or Lou's or Brad's, you can call right now. Our number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Our producer, Michelle, is standing by. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. This is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again is Lauren Feldman. Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. We're talking to Lou Mosca and Brad Martin, and we're taking your calls. If you got a question, uh, especially about the financial aspects of running a business, give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let's go to William in Pennsylvania. Welcome to Mind Your Business, William. Thank you for taking my call. Pleasure. I have a question concerning margin. So I have a service business. I have child care centers, and it seems that my margin is elusive. It's, it's a moving target. How do you determine margin with a service industry like that? Brad, do you want to take a crack at that? Yeah, great question. So how big is your business? How many, uh, what do you do in revenue, and how many people do you have working for you? We do we do two and a half million, and I have forty seven people working for me. And how do you right now? How do you how do you price your services? Uh, based on my cost as well as the competition. Okay, so it's it's really market market pricing. So one of the one of the challenges, and you're right, service business your size margin can be really hard to calculate because you're really not you're not making a product or you're not selling a tangible product, you're telling us your service. So you have what what we would call a high fixed cost business. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your costs don't really change a whole lot with when you add one more person, one more, uh, one more family. Um, no. what, is, that, is that accurate? Yeah, that, that is accurate. Up to a certain point, there are ratios in the classrooms and such. Yeah. But once you get past a certain number, I may need to add another teacher, which would in turn increase my, my payroll dollars. Yeah, so what we see a lot of people do that are in your situation is is you, 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 you look at what you're selling, which is um, uh, an individual, a person coming in for daycare, and you, you would take your, your let's do it, do it by month, what are your monthly costs? What do you pay for everything? Your rent, your utilities, the facility, all of your teachers, what do you pay? And if you divide that number, just make it easy, say it's $10,000 a month. If you divide that by the number of, of individuals that you have coming in, let's say you have 100 people coming in. If your costs are you know, $10,000 a month and you have 100 people coming in, then your cost per person is a hundred dollars right and then and then when you want to take it a step further you separate those costs between the ones that are fixed the ones that don't change at all like your rent your rent doesn't change uh, unless you decide to you know, expand your facility but assume your rent is fixed and your salary is part of that that's fixed and you can calculate the fixed cost per person and then you can also calculate one of the costs that change which is your teachers which your cost per person there and you'll find that as you add more, more, more people, more people coming in for daycare, and your the the number of individuals goes up, you'll find that your fixed cost per person goes goes down. Goes down. Yeah. Your variable cost may stay the same, but you might have some efficiency. But in a fixed cost business, one of the things that we find is you have to find that inflection point. You know, at a, at a certain cost structure, 
you want to maximize as many people as you can get in there as you can, and then your costs almost start to grow as a stair step. You have to expand the mm-hmm. you add more people. So you can really do well when you get just to the base of that step, just to the point before you, where you have to hire another person or add more costs and try to maximize that. Okay. That's the point that you can really generate the highest level of profitability in a high fixed cost business like you. William, what prompted you to call in and ask about the margins? Is there a particular problem that you're uh, confronting? Not really. So I've been operating for roughly 10 years, over 10 years, and always done well. But when I look at my margin, it, I, I get that. And I, I think it's somewhere around 18%. But um, and I've been doing similar to what was recommended, taking all my costs and looking at it and, and dividing and such. But I just wanted to make sure or to see, because I'm not at the point where I have a CFO. Um, I wanted to see, was there something more that I could do to give me a solid margin number so that I would be able to better predict future cash flows? Lou, do you have any thoughts, any questions that you would ask, William? Yeah. So first of all, um, William, do you have any debt? Uh, business debt, I have about 50000 Okay. And are you paying yourself today, salary? I am. I am. But, okay. And is your net profit, I think you said $2.5 million. Is your net profit on $2.5 million where you believe it should be? Uh, I think it should be a little bit higher, of course. <laughs> okay. But, uh, so we saw... We sort of look at it like this. Um, similar to Brad, we sort of take a bottoms-up approach. So we sort of look at what are our fixed costs, what's our labor, what's all of our labor costing us. And let's say on a monthly basis our fixed costs and our labor and our insurance costs and everything is averaging out to, you know, 25000 50000 whatever it is. And based on our costs, to get to the gross margin that we want and the net profit that we want, what revenue number do we need to bring in? So if we know what all of our cost is and we know where we want our profit to be, then the only issue then is bodies in the classroom. How do we get those bodies in the classroom? But only you can determine what you think is a good margin and a good net profit. No one can do that for you. Only you can do that. And I would suggest that you get someone with a strong financial background to help you put together, you know, a tool to give you the ability to say, okay, this is the amount of bodies I need in the classroom over the next 90 or 180 days so you can maximize profitability. Okay. William, thank you for your phone call. Really appreciate it. Uh, Feel free to call us back at some point and let us know how you're doing. We'd love to hear how it goes. Uh, If you have a comment or a question, we're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let's go to Ken in Pennsylvania. Ken, welcome to Mind Your Business. Uh, uh, You have a great show. Uh, Question that might be more on the sales end, more uh, uh, as compared to financial, but I'll run a problem by you. I worked for a Fortune 50 company for about 18 years, uh, left them and uh, now working for a local company. I won't mention the name. Can I mention the industry? Sure. Uh, it's in the uh, beverage uh, category, especially coffee. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a lot smaller company, but highly focused. Uh, we roast the coffee, do our own distribution versus the full line uh, house that would be uh, up and down the street carrying soup to nuts. Uh, but I had a non-compete. That non-compete is now up and having a problem. Uh, I have converted some of my former customers, but I thought it was going to be a greater rate by now. Uh, I guess that's the whole thing about the non-compete. And after a year, year and a half, they kind of forgot about me. So just wondering, any, any ideas uh, how we can get those customers that I took care of yeah, for years and years, come over to the new company. Lou, any thoughts on that? Sure. Work harder. Okay. I uh, mean, uh, let's, let's be practical. So you went in business to compete with the company that you went to work for when you left the Fortune World. And you, si- you signed a non-compete. 
So why do you need to steal their business? Why can't you just get new business? Okay. Uh, And that's what I did for uh, the past year, year and a half, focus on other uh, businesses that I didn't have with the uh, former company. And it's not going as quickly as you'd like. Right, exactly. I like, yeah, I like instant results, but, you know. All right, but this is a business, right? So sometimes in business, there are no instant results. There's instant heartache. So you have to, you have to have a plan and a strategy, but you have to give them a reason to deal with you that goes beyond just price. Right. So I don't need some you, price right? to die by price. Right. Right. Are you? Uh, did you say you're actually roasting also? Yes. So, what differentiates you from the fellow you left? Besides uh, you, basically the product that the uh, former company was uh, or customers were getting was two to four months old. My product is uh, probably two weeks old. Freshness. Is, so, did you give everybody a three or four day supply to try on you? Uh, I, I costly out there cupping coffee, sampling coffee. Yes. Yeah, but give give them a couple of days supply to a couple of lead stores or lead places that you want to work with, so you can get them as references if you can get them converted. Right. You know, right. to get to give them a sample of a cup of coffee is irrelevant. They want to know that they're you know top 100, 200, 300 daily visitors love this stuff. So go in the store and work in the store for a few days with them. Provide the coffee. Show them that you have skin in the game with them. you got to give them some reason to want to switch over to you, Ken. Okay. Brad, do you okay. see a financial aspect to this uh, while, uh, while Ken's figuring out his sales strategy? Well, I, I love what Lou said, and it, it really is a sales issue. And I've just found that, that nothing is more powerful than a test drive. And so whether that's... Um, Ken giving the product out and you know, giving them that, that sample that they can work through or just allowing the customer to experience. There's got, I mean, if there's a competitive advantage, if your product is better, that's a competitive advantage. If it's priced less, that's a competitive advantage. But just mm-hmm. figure out what your competitive advantage is and you can give people an opportunity to experience it. Okay. Is that helpful, Ken? Okay. Yes, very helpful. Thank you. Thanks for your call. We appreciate it. All right, guys, we only have a little bit of time left, but we're going to take the sanity test. Uh, Lou, uh, why don't you first tell us, what's, what's the purpose of the sanity test? Actually, it is, uh, it's actually morphed over the years. So uh, I came up with this, I don't know, about five years ago. We were asked to do a presentation for some DuPont fabricators down in Nashville or Memphis or somewhere. We had a client in Chicago that was a, a Corian counter fabricator and they recommended us to DuPont Corporate, and we wound up going down to Tennessee and giving this uh, presentation to a couple of hundred pretty successful folks. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to challenge them, and then what's happened, Lauren, ever since we did that, anytime we're presenting to a group or a mayor's conference or a trade group, we always challenge them with these questions. And the goal here was we think so many owners, and maybe Brad will agree with this, are so busy working and running and chasing and running and, you know, making sure the shiny objects up front and the dust collectors are in the back that they lose sight of the fact that you're in, you're in business to build something special for yourself. So and whether that's wealth, whether that's a future, whether that's succession for your family, but you're in business to accomplish things. And, you know, I, I'm 63 years old, and I don't know how that happened. So I think about these owners. So what we wanted them to do was think about what have they accomplished, where are they at, and is, it, is there enough time to kick it in gear and change it. So that's how we sort of came up with the sanity check. All right, so I'm going to read all 10 questions uh, <laughs> that you've got on your list, and then we'll, uh, maybe we'll pick a couple to, uh, to dive into. Uh, one, how many years has your organization been in business? Two, how many years have you been the CEO or leader? Three, is your personal net worth where it should be? Four, financially, do you want more? I bet I know the answer. You usually get to that question. Five, is your line of credit always used? Six, are you working harder for less? Seven, are your margins shrinking? Eight, are you satisfied with employee productivity? Nine, can you walk away from your business for a month? 
10. Do you have a rock-solid succession plan? Um, interesting questions. Uh, let, let me th- the, the Is your personal net worth where it should be financially? Do you want more? It, do you usually get negative answers to those questions, Lou? I usually don't get responses to the personal net worth. I see. People sort of don't want to talk about that. So we've sort of expanded this in the last year or two to challenge folks. Um, not only is your personal net worth where it should be, and I bet you Brad might agree with this, but most of our clients, I'm going to bet you 98 99% of them, do not do a personal balance sheet because they, they believe their business is their personal balance sheet. So we sort of encourage folks to do a personal balance sheet on themselves frequently because you don't want to wake up and say, oh, my God, what didn't I do? But financially, do you want more? Everybody says yes. And the reason we ask them about is your line of credit always used is because they believe their line of credit's their money for the most part. And we have to explain to them way too often, I bet you Brad does also, that a line of credit is a demand loan. It's not your cash. Brad, do you see that same confusion? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing that we see with particularly with the smaller businesses, is they they have a hard time looking inside the business and spending money because they still think the cash inside the business is their their money personally. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing, you know, when you, when you take that next step and a, another individual comes in to run the company, which a lot of entrepreneurs will do, you know, they tend to be the visionary and they have somebody come in and run it. That That professional manager has a different slant on it and is willing to take some risk and spend some money on some things that are going to lead to growth in the company that the business owner wouldn't because he's, he's hoarding it as his or her cash. We're almost out of time. Real quickly, both of you, have either of you ever seen a business with a rock-solid succession plan? Lou? Never. Never. Brad? No, I mean, never. We've seen people working on them, but they're never done. That's really a shame. Something people should think about more. Uh, although I'm not sure what, what exactly defines a rock solid uh, succession plan, Lou. Well, to me, it's a couple of things. Number one, if they Quickly. choose to want, if they want to sell, it's set in stone what they want and how they want to get it. If they want to create an ESOP, how they want to make that happen. But more importantly, if they need a quick transition because of health issues or whatever, the business will not skip a beat. Brad Martin of Focus CFO, thanks so much for joining us today and for for sticking around. Great to be here. If people want to know more about you and Focus CFO, where should they go? Go to our website. It's focuscfo.com. Up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a purple button that says, Ask Us Anything. You You can click that, send a note in. It'll come to me. I'll be happy to respond personally. Lou Mosca, thank you, as always, for joining us today. If, uh, if somebody wants that list of 10 questions, how do they reach out to you? Any way they'd like. They can email me directly. They can call American Management. How do they email you directly? lmosca at amserve.com. You're also on Twitter at Mosca Small Biz, M-O-S-C-A, Small Biz, B-I-Z. Uh, I'm sure Lou would respond to you there as well. Lou, thank you very much. It's always my privilege. Stay well. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but we're here live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. My thanks to audio engineer Dion Simpkins and producer Michelle Stucker. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at L Feldman. And if you like what you heard here, check out the Oxford Morning Report by Googling Oxford Morning Report. Until next time, I'm Lauren Feldman, and this has been Mind Your Business on Business Radio, powered by the Warden School, Sirius XM 132. Thanks for listening, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 